Hi, fellow geochemists and geochemistry enthusiasts. Welcome to Geochemist Tea, the only podcast for people who love geochemistry with a side of tea. Our mission is to inspire and to shed light on the topics not fancy enough to talk about at a conference, but important to delve into. I'm your host, Sam Scher, and this week we're talking with Juan Carlos Ordonez about geochemical modeling for ore body knowledge and exploration targeting. Juan Carlos is the Senior Manager for Exploration and Resource Geochemistry at Kinross Gold. Juan Carlos, welcome to Geochemistry. Uh, thank you, Sam, for having me on your show. So if you guys haven't met Juan Carlos, in addition to his behind-the-scenes work in-house, he also has released a number of papers the past five years where he has applied advanced data analytics to integrate geochemistry with geological, mineralogical, and geometallurgical data. Talking about topics of interest for the show, Juan Carlos needed a few months to come up with the plan, and ultimately he landed about talking about using multi-element geochemistry not only for exploration, but as a fundamental tool to map 3D geological attributes of ore bodies to support resource estimation, delineation of geometallurgical variability, and mapping environmental risks. So Juan Carlos, can you expand on this a bit for our audience? Yes, uh, thank you for asking. Uh... So I've been in the industry uh, doing, I've been interpreting uh, geochemical data for around 20, 21 years uh, and in the industry for 15 years. So uh, my view is that uh, we are, we are uh, in this applied geochemistry community has been so focused, extremely focused on, on the application of uh, geochemistry to exploration. And there is nothing wrong with that, but I think uh, as an applied science, we are not doing a, a good service to actually uh, include uh, the diversity of applications of geochemistry in the in the mining industry that goes beyond uh, exploration. For instance, uh, applications in uh, solving problems in in operations in for geometallurgy, throughputs, recoveries, uh, modeling uh, deleterious minerals that can cause problems uh, in in your processing. You know, modeling using geochemistry to model those uh, in, environmental uh, uh, domains for waste management. So geochemistry is, uh, as an applied science in the mining industry is a much uh, richer science that, than just the exploration part of it. And uh, I think focusing geochemistry uh, in the mining industry just on the exploration side uh, is really limiting uh, the actual uh, broad of applications that uh, geochemical data and geochemical analysis can, can bring to, to, to the mining industry. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'm really glad that we're going to have this chat today because I can't wait for people to hear more about this. So at this point, we've barely touched on your career and I know that it's interesting. So can you take our listeners back to how you started out, which I believe was mapping and what got you interested in geochemistry? Yes, uh, so geochemistry in my case was kind of a, an accident because it was for me, geochemistry was more like a tool. So I'm a geoscientist. I was born in Colombia and I did my bachelor 
degree in Colombia in, in, in geoscience, in geology. And then I ventured to Japan and Canada to do my master's and PhD. So uh, geochemistry was always a tool to, to kind of uh, my scientific education. So I did a lot of work on, you know, mapping, uh, you know, from a volcanological structural geology perspective, Archean greenstone belts, cordilleran settings uh, for uh, intrusive related uh, deposits, for uh, uh, volcanogenic hosted deposits, orogenic gold. So geochemistry uh, for me was more, uh, it was part of a tool, like to really better understand the field geology uh, using geochemistry. There's no point to, uh, you know, break your head trying to what kind of rock is this after three or four episodes of metasomatism when you have geochemistry and can really tell you what the lithology is. You focus more your field geology time to looking at things that geochemistry don't see, like textural analysis, lithophasies, fabrics in, in, a, in the case of structural geology. So geochemistry for me was this tool in addition to the field geology that makes us, um, you know, geologists. And then when I came to the mining industry, uh, uh, I, I after I worked a few years with the government for Ontario Geological Survey, uh, Geological Survey of Canada, doing maps as a precambrian geoscientist, and geochemistry was there as well to to help interpreting, you know, building these uh, big regional scale uh, geological models uh, and some kind of a function of the government is providing the geological knowledge so that uh, companies invest in exploration, for example. So geochemistry was always there. Then I decided to venture into the mining industry. So I've been looking at geochemistry for 15 years. So when I came to the mining industry, actually I came as a structural geologist, but to me, the, the shock was we have all these geochemical data sets, hundreds of thousands of geochemistry data points, and people are not using it. And since I had the knowledge, I started pushing into, into that direction. Uh, um, pushing uh, groups and and companies that I have worked for into really leveraging the value of these multi-element geochemical data sets. So since then, I've been a very uh, strong advocate of uh, using uh, multi-element geochemistry uh, in the mining industry uh, for different applications, not just exploration, but we're, we are talking about today as well. I have put a series of papers for uh, geometallurgy, um, I have collaborated a lot with the universities, University of uh, Toronto, where I'm on a young faculty, also on a young faculty with the University of Laurentian. So I kind of have managed to get funding from the companies I work for to uh, explore more applications of um, uh, geochemistry in the mining industry. So with the University of Toronto, we're doing a series of innovations where geochemistry is part of it uh, to support, for example, um, uh, uh, mining operations for you know throughput recovery models, uh, also using uh, digital imagery to inform geochemistry texturally. Uh, so that's kind of a kind of a um, the background of how I came into geochemistry. I think the big shock and kind of motivated me a lot to uh, uh, to become kind of a public speaker on 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 geochemistry was seeing all these geochemical data sets that are barely used in the mining industry. People are collecting it uh, appropriately or not. People are not using these uh, geochemical data sets. So I saw the opportunity and I um, have been using uh, geochemistry to support not just exploration, but also uh, operations and mine closure uh, projects uh, in the mining industry for the last 15 years. So interesting. Um, I always love talking about you, uh, talking about your story with you. Um, and I'm glad now that people get to hear it. Um, so 
just to finish out this, do you have any tips or advice to give our listeners that want to break into geochemistry, especially in mineral exploration or on the mining side? Because I think particularly in the ore body knowledge field, it's getting quite quite large for of an opportunity for people. Yes, I think in today's world, uh, there is no scarcity of geochemical data. So anyone that wants to uh, work with these data sets, uh, they are at your fingertips if you're working for a mining company. Uh, whether it's a small data set in today's world, a small data set is, you know, 3,000, 4,000 samples. <laughs> when we were doing school years ago, maybe 500 samples were a lot. But mm -hmm. nowadays there is, a, there is no scarcity, whether it is a proper lab digested uh, geochemistry or is instrumental, like portable instrument geochemistry. So there is no scarcity. So the, the limitation, I think, is if, you, if people are really serious into jumping uh, uh, into becoming competent geochemists, uh, you need to sp spend and invest time in, in the fundamentals of applied geochemistry. And, that's, and, and when I talk about applied geochemistry in the mining industry, there is two components in my view, and is the component that relates to earth processes, and is how this periodic table work in geological environments, how these different elements behave during weathering, oxidation, partial melting, hydrothermal alteration, uh, metasomatism, deformation, so that you can uh, actually uh, put geochemical literacy into your modeling. And that's very important. But there is also in the mining industry this, this other side of geochemistry that is not talked a lot, and is that geochemistry is also an engineer product. Because when you are, for example, supporting a recovery model when you're supporting pro, uh, throughput, these are engineered products. So there are other factors to consider in addition to understanding geochemistry from a purely uh, natural perspective and the geological environment. There is also understanding geochemistry in this kind of, um, as an engineered product and how it can help uh, these operations. So I spend a lot of time uh, uh, practicing with the data sets that you have at your fingertips, but understand the fundamentals of applied geochemistry and understand how a, a, a real mining operation works so that you can better leverage uh, these data sets and build your skills from there. I think that's a really good point and and I hope that everybody takes that to heart. There's so many opportunities out there. You just have to also just not think so linearly about it that you know you have to get into exploration first so then you or you have to get into production uh environment first but that there are opportunities you just have to know where to to look for them so i think that's a really good point moving on to our next section i just have to know what kind of tea have you brought us juan carlos and please spill <laughs> yes uh, well i think i'm gonna talk about a very personal experience of how actually i got into Excellent. science <laughs> i don't want to talk about anyone else <laughs> maybe in another show okay um so so when I was a kid, uh, I actually, uh, since ki kindergarten, I I was in theater. I was kind of an actor since I was uh, I was in kindergarten. I joined very early in my life a uh, theater company in Colombia, where I was born. And I, I was an artist throughout my primary school and, and high school. So I thought as a young kid, I had my life defined. I'm going to be an, art, uh, an artist. Um, so I used to write also theater uh, in this com theater company. I, I used to uh, practice, uh, you know, writing scripts and putting them to performance and all of that. So when I finished high school, I decided, mm, can I make a sustainable life being an artist? So I decided to take two years after I finished high school without going to university to explore, like, where do I really fit and do something I really love and and have a sustainable life. So I 
joined a different uh, theater company at the time. Uh, there was a kind of a, a very diverse group of uh, young professionals and, and, and students, university students finishing their, their university education. So I was the kind of young kid in the group, I was possibly 16 years old. And, uh, you know, I, during two years, I had the opportunity to see and kind of uh, prototype the life of these different professionals and, and students and seeing, you know, engineers, medical doctors, nurses, uh, language specialists, uh, geologists. And at the end of the two years, I really like, uh, I really like uh, what uh, the geologists uh, did. And I kind of find a parallel. It's like, okay, wait, I like the theater because I like the storytelling. But geologists are also storytellers with rocks. So <laughs> that's my younger side. Like, ah, I, I, I think I, I like this. I, I think I, I got into geology more uh, on the storytelling side. I kind of uh, got fascinated as a kid with these young professionals telling stories with, with a rock in their hand. And it's like, oh, uh, this is something I, I find a lot of uh, similarities with, with arts. And I postulated to university to uh, geosciences, and that's how I started this journey. <laughs> oh my God, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the typical go camping, or you know, it's just completely unrelated. Yeah, <laughs> completely unrelated. But I mean, in fairness, I guess I always wanted to be a historian because I loved history, and my parents told me that. You know, you can't go to school to study history unless you want to be a teacher. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to be a teacher. So they're like, well, you can't just study history. There's no there's no future in it, say. And I was like, oh, well, hey, geology, science, yeah. history. <laughs> you, became, you became a nurse historian now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. That's a really good one. Thank you. All right, guys, moving on now, I guess... I found that I, what I think is pretty easy is that when I have people on the show, I request for them to send me a paper so that we can ground our discussion in a paper. Very few people so far have followed that advice. <laughs> <laughs> Juan Carlos is no different. He has chosen his own PDAC short course. For everyone listening, the course outline is as follows. Fundamentals that include QAQC, so important. A review of methodologies, interpretation of four acid ICP data, geomet, ore body knowledge, regional soil geochem, applications of till and indicator minerals, and glaciated geochem. I've seen the outline. I've read the first chapter. I've even read his chapter. It's it's an incredible course. Next time that they're giving it, I'm going to be there. If you want to hang out with me and learn some stuff, let's all go. However, since this is not publicly available, Juan Carlos. Can you briefly outline the purpose of the course and why you think it's important to talk about all these things? Yes, sure. Uh, I have to give credit to Linda Bloom from Analytic Analytical Solutions. So this is a workshop that Linda Bloom and myself have put uh, together um, at the PIDAC. And it came from the same idea that I was mentioning earlier, that there has been an extreme focus on geochemistry from an exploration perspective and there is nothing wrong but if you consider geochemical applications as a composition then uh, exploration is just one part of the composition and then there is these other parts that have been in my opinion neglected from kind of an educational perspective and is how geochemistry fits in the not just the exploration but in the mining and solving problems in the in mining the ore bodies that uh, we mine for a profit um, so 
the idea of the workshop is to uh, kind of gather um, a group of topics uh, and invite experts in different in different uh, fields that cover all aspects from the very fundamentals exploration included but also how geochemistry fits for example uh, geometallurgy environmental geoscience that you're going to have an environmental geoscience, uh, geo geochemistry in your team. That's very important part because ultimately, uh, when we focus on our body, we we didn't uh, name the workshop on geochemistry for mineral deposits. We can we mentioned it or body knowledge because an or body is something that we mine for profit. This is a business, so we are focusing on the value creation here, and not every mineral deposit is a, is it, it can be mined for a profit. But ideally, an ore body, <laughs> if it's yeah. properly evaluated, actually is going to produce a profit uh, for uh, share and shareholders and stakeholders. So we are focused on actually uh, bringing these geochemical applications uh, so to solve problems and identify identify uh, economic opportunities and also risk of value destruction in uh, in an in a, in a in, through the mining uh, uh, business cycle uh, using uh, multi-element geochemistry, uh, just because we want to model uh, or support, uh, for instance, uh, resource estimation. Uh, if you are uh, one of the important things in a, in characterizing a, uh, an ore body is really knowing how much payable metal is there, and you know a lot of the geostatistical methods depend heavily on domaining, so that the estimators are uh, uh, constrained to a domain where you have certain conditions for that estimator to be correct, like stationarity, you have in the same uh, single population. And geochemistry can really help uh, shed insight into how to domain a mineral deposit so that the process of mineral resource estimation is more efficient and, and is, is less prone to underestimation or overestimation, for instance. But <clears throat> Another important thing, you know, in the ore body knowledge is, uh, you know, the metallurgy, metallurgical flow sheet, and is how I use geochemistry to constrain, for example, cyanide consumption to identify these domains that are going to be super expensive in terms of consuming uh, cyanide. How can I identify why this particular part of the ore body is giving giving me less recoveries in the flotation or in a cyanide leach? How can I use geochemistry to actually understand from that? geological perspective, but also to model it in, in, in 3D. Environmental env environmental domaining is the same. Is you know, you people uh, um, when you're modeling an ore body, uh, uh, the waste rocks are important because you, you still have to manage them. There is a there may be acid rock generation, there may be metals that leach into the environment. You need to characterize that. They are part of your ore body. They are not adding dollars, they are removing dollars from your pocket because because you still have to manage this environmental quality and prove that you can mine your body efficiently. So the, these and many other applications are part of modeling, you know, the value creation, inputs and outputs of money into your mining operation. And geochemistry uh, is a central role of this. So this is the, uh, pretty much the focus of, has been the focus of uh, the workshop that Linda and myself put at the PIDAC is kind of bringing a little bit more of understanding that uh, that uh, your geochemical data sets are not the exclusive monopoly of the exploration group, that that they serve to many more purposes in 
in the mining industry, uh, in an operation, and 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 that brings a responsibility, and is that these data sets need to be managed by qualified uh, professionals, which in my view is still not standard in the industry. Yeah, I think you brought up a, a huge point there, how well some people and some organizations are doing of managing their data, but still how much further that other organizations need to go towards making sure that their data is able to be multi-client. Great point. Yes. And so that kind of leads into my first question here, which is that a term that repeatedly comes up in this workshop is that geochemical data is multi-client. In other words, it can be applied to more than just exploration. And again, we've talked about this a bit, but I just really want to get it into, especially our younger listeners' minds uh, about this concept of ore body knowledge and why it's important, especially for companies, to recognize the role of geochemistry in programs larger than just exploration. Yes, uh, I insist always in 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 my talks or workshops that geochemistry is multi-client, and uh, that means is that uh, that kind of brings an, an an important challenge, and it's not many many companies have. A professional uh, geochemist, geochemist managing their data sets. So this is the problem. When, if you don't, from day one, from your exploration to mine closure, we are collecting geochemical data. If you don't ensure that uh, the data collection is multi-client from day one, then the problem is, uh, as you know, you, you go from discovery to start planning a profitability study, etc. Then uh, these data sets are not going to speak with these other processes that you're trying to model. Maybe the wrong digestion was was used. Maybe the detection limits are not there. Just to give you an example, uh, if you if you put, for example, the responsibility of collecting the geochemical data in the exploration budget, or maybe in the resource uh, model uh, budget, maybe people are not going to sample waste rocks or uh, just sample the main part of the mineralized interval and some shoulder. The problem with, the, with this is later, when our client, which is the environmental group, wants to understand what are the environmental risks in the waste rocks, they have not been measured because it was never, the geochemistry was never collected multi-client. It was meant to see the payable metal. It wasn't meant to see the, the metals that have a, a negative value it means doesn't bring money to your pocket it actually remove money from your pockets so uh, maybe the choice of a uh, of the geochemical package is is good for exploration group but those trace elements that are important for example for environmental geoscientists like mercury weren't were not appropriate so even you measure mercury it wasn't detected but those trace amount of mercury can harm the environment for instance and there are many many situations and and this goes the same uh, as you know as a project uh, progresses even geochemistry is being collected by metallurgists like in every metallurgical test work there is some form of geochemistry but these geochemical data sets collected by the metallurgical department for instance sometimes they don't speak with the same quality with the same characteristics to the more larger scale exploration data set in the drill hole data so you can never relate one to the other so and unless uh, unless geochemistry is managed from a multi-client perspective and is seen as a data set that is going to service the mining operation from exploration to mine closure, then we're going to have these issues and it's never going to end. And geochemistry is never going to be recognized in a company as actually a, a valuable asset. It's just an expense if we don't manage to collect 
uh, to collect geochemistry by qualified professionals that are not thinking just, oh, this is for the exploration. This is for the mining business from from exploration to closure. If we don't think that way, then uh, we're going to be collecting geochemistry as business as usual, fragmented data sets that barely speak to each other and a lot of money that is wasted when you could have one of the best quality data sets to model any problem in your mining operation, uh, even thinking when closing an operation. Yeah, I'm thinking onto some of the projects I'm currently working on and, and just seeing how I've had some light conversations with them about this. It's not why it was brought into some of these projects, but just how impactful those words are for people to start really kind of changing their minds. Uh, and I think that if anything, uh, this could be maybe an excerpt that I just uh, published with the, the footnote of the, the episode description. Yes. Such, the, the, such a good uh, point. Yeah, the multi-client aspect, the multi-client aspect. And I would say in my professional career, I would be able to count with one hand, with the fingers of one hand, the number of companies that actually have professional people managing their data sets. It's, uh, and until uh, this is recognized as a valuable asset, then uh, geochemistry cannot be uh, applied to its full potential. So on one side is the way companies are structured, uh, they, they are not, sometimes the budgets are belongs to groups and mm -hmm. each group make their own decisions based on their views. So um, until this becomes somehow more accepted that is an asset that is multi-client, uh, we're going to keep seeing issues like we just mentioned. Something that I'm thinking about is that when I was working in the hyperspectral industry, one of the companies that we worked for, in order to get it accepted, broadly throughout their organization, it's set up in more of a director's fund. So everybody that was should be using it and everybody that was using it would get the money from there. And that way it did become a multi-client data set because there was no ownership by exploration or by metallurgy or by environmental. It just because it came from that director's budget, it was for everybody. So maybe that's something that people can think about as well as we yes. rethink this. And uh, unless that happen, as long as budgets are discretionary from particular groups, this is not going to work. I have spent enough time in the mining industry to say that uh, unless the budgets are general, uh, it's not going to work because uh, there is a kind of a, a conflict of time. Maybe the group that is managing the budget this year has a very short time objective in, in their goals and they not, might not see and don't want to see the value of investing in a better quality geochemistry because that's not what is needed for permitting. So once you spend all those millions of dollars in geochemistry and another group comes to use those, those, those uh, assays or those multi-element geochemical data sets, they may want to see some things that were not captured in the data set and either you have to re redo the program or simply just uh, doing a an educated guess of what the quality of whatever property you are measuring. So unless these budgets are uh, coming from a common pool, as long as it belongs to individual groups, I think the the priority of the group is going to rule over over the actual larger concept. And another thing that I've heard said is that a reason why people don't want to sample a whole drill wholesale. Let's say that their deposit's quite deep and 
on top of it is just overburden. The reason they don't want to sample the whole thing is just because the labs are already so backed up that even if they wanted to sample the overburden, they won't because, first of all, it doesn't matter. And then second of all, it's just going to take so much time out of them getting their actual results back because the labs are so backed up. I have a couple of examples. I think the lab is a real, real excuse that is not, doesn't really fit in my in my mind. Uh, but I can give you a couple of examples of opportunity lost of not sampling top to bottom. I always recommend sampling top to bottom. One is, for example, even the overburden, like having issues, uh, geotech engineering, having issues. Then maybe, uh, and, and these are, I cannot name the operations, but these are real problems. So, for example, slow stability due to quaternary cover. And maybe this important contact in the quaternary kind of unconsolidated sediments is very important. And that contact can be picked with geochemistry. And you could easily have a geotechnical map with your geochemical data sets. But that implies that you measure the geochemical attributes of the cover. Another example is years later after mining, people realize that the 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 sedimentary cover is just an alluvium of the deposit being eroded and there is significant gold values. And then you even measure it. So, so I think, uh, and in the waste part is also the environmental quality. Maybe you didn't measure that arsenic, that mercury, you know, you focus so much in the part of the ore body, but this metalliferous dispersion trend that is giving you waste rock, very rich in mercury. For the exploration geologists, it's awesome to have this mercury silver plumes because it gives you more detection of where to drill but once you start mining this is an issue and you didn't measure it because you are only you only care of the mineralized part right so uh, i th i think um i understand companies not putting their dollars in 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 the waste rock and that kind of goes back to to uh, what i was saying in a minute and is that uh, it's a conflict of time horizons and what definition of success is. Our definition of success sometimes is very short time. Uh, definition of success is just for this group. Success for this group means showing that there is 10 grams per ton, is not really providing a company with a, with a, with a set that they can make this company data-driven and solve every possible problem that they have throughout the mining operation. That's not how we think. So that, I think that's it's more of um, a cultural thing that needs to, to be changed because uh, I don't see in today's world why not collecting the multi-element geochem top to bottom. We've talked about this in the introduction as well, but a related concept that's really interesting is that of the monetary value that geochemistry brings in terms of identifying both that positive and the negative dollar of an ore deposit. And something that we didn't quite touch on, but could you just talk about what this means in terms of, say, elements and mineralogy? Yes, uh, so when kind of in the line of work I do, I always like to frame a geochemical modeling in terms of uh, identifying value drivers. And value drivers are positive, are, you know, geological domains or geochemical domains that bring money in, in your pockets, put money in your pockets, or these geological domains that actually remove money out of, of your bank account. So, in, as I was mentioned earlier, this is a combination of geological processes, but also an engineer product. For instance, uh, geologists are very familiar with weathering and oxidation. So this is something, this is a geological attribute that you can model easily uh, with your geochemical data sets. You know, 
and map intensities of alteration, sorry, intensities of weathering in this example, intensities of oxidation. So is it oxidation and weathering? What kind of value driver is in your mining operation? It depends on what kind of a flow sheet, what kind of a metallurgical processing you are doing. If you're doing, for example, flotation, that oxidation, that uh, uh, weathering may introduce clays, may introduce iron oxides that may change the viscosity of your uh, flotation tanks and you may kill a good percentage of your recovery due to, due to weathering and oxidation. Uh, if you're doing a heap leach, for example, weathering and oxidation may be a blessing because it is oxidizing uh, minerals that in the case of, for example, gold, a lock gold, then it's exposing most, more surfaces of gold, and then you're going to increase your recovery. So this is neither good or bad. It depends on geological process and combination of engineering. And the same goes for lithology. The same goes for alterations. The same goes for the stratigraphy. All of these geological attributes can be modeled geochemically. But when you model those geochemically, you have to think on what kind of the value change you are feeling. Uh, uh, for instance, sometimes geologists get really lost in detail. Is it really important if you are modeling, uh, for example, uh, an operation and the real question you have is, uh, I have, I'm having throughput issues. Is it really important to name these 20 different, 30 different lithocodes? Or maybe you have to focus your analysis on a lithological and engineering perspective of where you have this break in harness, for example. Maybe these two or three different lithologies, not these 20, 30 different lithocodes. So that's that's what I mean when I talk about uh, the value creation and the risks of value destruction. Is that these are um, these are geological models that or geological attributes that can be modeled using geochemistry and can fit into your assessment of risks when you start identifying these lithologies that are more favorable for recovery or more problematic to, uh, you know, cyanide consumption. Uh, that's the point, modeling uh, with a question that in the mining industry is is beyond the geological history of your or body. It, it has to incorporate these processes that either put or remove value to, to your mining operation. Yeah, it's an excellent point. Um, and now kind of pivoting towards your contribution to this workshop, um, which if anybody gets to see it or has sat through it, it's it's really fascinating. There's a lot of math involved, um, <laughs> which can be scary, but but it's also really, really fascinating. Your contribution was entitled A Review of Methodologies for Geochemical Data Analysis, and you broke the presentation down to four sections. You had compositional data, geochem templates, unsupervised learning, and supervised learning. And so while we're going to apologize profusely to our listeners that we're not going to get the full lecture of the course here, I think more interesting is the reasoning behind each of these sections and particularly the first two. As geochemists are aware, geochemistry is compositional data. And for those listeners that aren't familiar with this concept, can you just summarize this quickly and explain why it's important to understand this? Yes, I think um, when when you are uh, doing any sort of uh, mathematical analysis, I think the analogy I put is like, imagine you are an architect and you have this piece of land where you want to build a nice building. You have to use appropriate measuring tools that allow you to measure, you know, this area so that when you actually execute your, your project, things are going to fit 
or fall in the right place. It's the same when you're doing uh, mathematical modeling. Uh, we use measuring tools and the measuring tools that we use need to be appropriate for the data sets that we use. So uh, as you mentioned, geochemistry is a special type of, uh, of data, which is called compositional. And what that means is geochemistry cannot be negative, like in the real number space, numbers can be positive, negative, and they are free to range from minus infinity, infinite to plus infinite. But geochemistry cannot be negative. It's always positive. It's close to a constant. If you're working in percentages and you relap results some or adapt to more than 100%, there is something wrong. If you are working in parts per billion and your, your assays add more than 1 billion, then you, there is something wrong. You cannot exceed those boundaries. Uh, so it's, it's a closed space. And all of this uh, and many other properties basically uh, results in that when you when you are going to analyze uh, geochemical data, you have to use special measuring, measuring tools. And uh, the important information carried by geochemical data is uh, in, in their ratios, for example. So there have been a lot of mathematical uh, uh, models and tools pro, uh, developing since the 80s uh, that kind of uh, part of the compositional data analysis theory that you can apply to to your geochemical data to open up to an actual uh, real space where your geochemistry is not close or is not affected by by disclosure problems and, and you can actually have a, a real measurements uh, i think one of the examples i give a more, uh, more from a more practical point of view is cluster analysis. When we measure, when do we do cluster analysis is because we want to measure distances between geochemical data points in geochemical space. These distances, depending on the geochemical space that you create, reflect geological processes. But if you measure, if you use a tool that measures the distance between two points dif uh, wrong, then you are going to get wrong the, the, the geological process that separated, for example, a sample from uh, alteration one to alteration B from fresh to alter, it moves in geochemical space because silicification or, you know, argillic alteration. These distances imply this process. If you are, don't use the appropriate mathematical tools, you are not going to be able to, to see these processes. So uh, I think in, in, in some of uh, the work I've published and the workshops uh, I talk, I, I um, insist a lot on the data pre-processing, which in addition to the quality control means uh, it, it, you, hopefully you do some special treatment to your data to deal with the with the closure problems. And there's a few simple tools like, uh, for example, a central log rate transformation that you can use to kind of uh, uh, be able to measure distances with confidence. So yeah, in a nutshell is, uh, framing your mathematical analysis in, in with the right measuring tools. Yeah, perfect. Because ultimately everything that we're going to be doing with this data is mathsy. So understanding this concept is pretty important. And then the second topic that you tackle are geochemical templates. Uh, we discussed this at length with Pim in our fifth episode here in geochemistry, but I think it's important also to get another take on this and an explanation as to why these templates should be used with caution. And I think this is also a good moment to put in a plug why we shouldn't be assaying drill core necessarily with Aquaregia. Yes. So two, two questions. Uh, so one is yeah. the the template the template part. Uh, I, ha I myself have 
publish a couple of templates that are now in a commercial software. And I'm not against using the templates, but uh, people need to understand the limitations. Templates are generalizations. Uh, it is like having a generalization of what a human being is. It's, it allows us to compare one human with other, but each of us are so different. Uh, and, and the same goes for, for the ore bodies that we explore and we mine for. Every ore body is different. Even two twin ore bodies in the same mineral system, they are completely different. So templates are just generalizations that allow you to do a quick EDA, exploratory data analysis, and understand, oh, maybe I have a bunch of rhyolites, or maybe the rocks here are mafic, maybe the alteration is this, but it doesn't, because templates are generalizations. They don't capture the wealth of information hidden in this multivariate structure that your geochemical data sets live in. So in order to actually be able to extract all this information that makes your mineral deposit unique, you have to do a more custom-made template or a custom-made analysis using you know, multivariate statistics and all these uh, mathematical modeling tools that today we have at our fingertips you know, with open source software, provided that you put the geochemistry in the right, uh, in the right mathematical space. So uh, it's very often seeing people just taking the geochem, putting into a template without thinking, what was the digestion that this template was made for? So you throw an aqua rigid digestion into a template to discriminate volcanic rocks made for aforacids, and believe me, I've seen that, or, <laughs> or you put your, uh, uh, your uh, aqua rigid digestion into a template to discriminate a, a hydrothermal alteration like on the kind of uh, potassium, sericitic, sodic, when you are dealing with a partial digestion. So it can really change your story. So uh, use your templates, but understand that they have limitations, understand what were they designed for. And also, even if you have all the perfect data set to use in your template, you have to understand that they are not going to tell the full story of your data set. You have to dive a little bit deeper into multivariate analysis of your data sets to, to really extract the information uh, uh, hidden in, in, in your body in those geochemical data sets. Just thinking to the last focus of, of your course, it's on the machine learning aspect, which I think everybody's just really excited about. Everybody's always very excited about machine learning. You also do, you dive both into supervised and unsupervised learning. And some of the best points you make in here is why it's important to be a geochemist when working with geochemical data sets. And this is something that we explored a lot when we chatted with Mike Whitbread. And I was just wondering if you could just comment on that. What do you think the combination is? Do you think that you have to be a geochemist to do this data science? Do you think that you could have a data scientist and a geochemist working together? Do geochemists need to be also data scientists? What do you think is this equation that we're looking for going forward? I think there is no geochemical, there is no real geochemical analysis uh, or model without real geochemical analysis, is in my opinion. I think the, the, the trend I'm seeing is uh, in the past 20 years, there's been an explosion of democratization of the machine learning and analy data analytics tools through open source software. So it is very easy to you know learn Python or R and just plug your geochemical data into a machine learning model. Now it's not a challenge. It's, 
these data analytics have been democratized. Neural networks have been democratized as well. So you have all these tools uh, at your fingertips to to use with uh, your uh, uh, with your geochemical data sets. But what is really at the core of any science is not is not even just geochemistry. Is the domain knowledge, and domain knowledge cannot be replaced. Uh, if if you just open your machine learning uh, algorithm and fits your geochemical data, you are going to have a model for sure. But I always uh, I always encourage to start modeling with a question like what is really what you want to model? And having an answer like, for example, uh, I want to model alteration. No, but the question is why you want to model alteration is because you are doing exploration or you are mo uh, modeling a, a alteration because there is a problem in the meal or in the flotation tanks. Why are you modeling alteration? And then once you have that fundamental question, you have to understand geochemistry, how these elements may map an alteration system to do what I commonly refer to as uh, engineering geochemical space. So I once I understand a fundamental question, I'm modeling, I'm modeling alteration because I want to solve a, a or B problem. Then you say that geochemical space where anyone can run a machine learning model and it's going to get a very good answer. It's going to get a, a combination of clusters or domains that is going to be directly related to the problem that uh, you are trying to solve. But trying to approach uh, the geochemical modeling simply from I can run principal component, a TSNE, uh, I can run the fanciest, uh, you know, uh, uh, clustering algorithm out in the market. I'm going to feed all of that and then I'm going to map that in 3D. There, there is no purpose on that. There is not even geochemical analysis fed into, into that kind of algorithmic model. So my and, and I could give a number of examples. My advice is always do your geochemical analysis as you would do any geochemical analysis and then plug in your machine learning modeling to extract that insight. I see, for example, uh, I seen examples where people just throw more uh, elements to to a model to map stratigraphy, for example, in very well known. I present one of those uh, examples in the workshop where you have a kind of a, shall, a very uh, stratigraphy dipping at 45 degrees. Then you you throw every quotation mark in model element into an algorithm to map stratigraphy. But you didn't do trace element mobility analysis because you assume everything is in mobile. In the papers, everything is in mobile, but everything can be moved with the right conditions. And then just, just adding, for example, yttrium, it completely changes a, a kind of a, an stratigraphy to, that dips to an angle to a very flat stratigraphy. So these are the kind of things of geological literacy, understanding how the elements behave, doing all the ge uh, geochemical analysis before you plug that into an algorithm. That's very important. And that's basically I frame it from this point of view is uh, you have to uh, let geochemical analysis or geochemical literacy guide your algorithmic modeling, not the opposite.
And I think on the counterpoint to that too, and why if we're going to be using algorithms such as these, is that you have to understand the fundamentals of the algorithm such that, for example, if you have, say, two immobile elements, but they actually are one-to-one, -one, then you shouldn't be using them in your, you should pick one. You shouldn't be using both of them because that's just causing complications in your algorithm. So I think it, it goes both ways where we can't, Yes, we understand the background because, you know, we're geochemists and we've asked that right question, which I think is a really great point of yours. But we also need to be understanding the algorithms that we're using. So now just because there's so much out there and so much available, especially when things are published in geochemists' favorite software, IOGAS, you know, now that there's TSNE in there, now that there are, you know, dbScan and stuff, like we have to understand fundamentally what these are in order to use them properly and not just because the platform has made it easy for people to use. Yes, I agree with that. And that kind of uh, goes back to, to the other point. Like now that you bring all of these uh, solid fundamental geochemical uh, reasoning into your into your analysis, you cannot get away uh, on just using a mathematical model without knowing how it, at least how it works. It's just exactly to the point uh, I was mentioning about compositional data. I've seen a lot of papers talking about these clustering algorithms and why some are much better than others. And I have my then myself done a lot of tests, and I can say this with confidence. If you set the right geochemical space, if you set a, a, the appropriate elements to solve the question you are going to, you want to solve, almost every algorithm will give you a very good result from the more questionable to the more sophisticated. But the more sophisticated algorithm, even if you understand what the algorithm is doing and you don't set the right space, it's not going to give you an appropriate answer. So yeah, it's kind of a balance in today's world. And this is something I commonly insist is that geoscience is a relatively young science. When we compare with the astronomy, mathematics, chemistry, we became a kind of a formal science, maybe 200, 250 years ago. And as our discipline evolves as a, as a formal science, our discipline is becoming more and increasingly more mathematized. So we cannot, we're at that stage where we cannot escape having mathematical literacy to model geological systems. As, a, as an astronomer, cannot escape being good in mathematics. That's, that's the way it is. And as, as science is mature, the mathematization and computerization of the sciences evolve, and so it has the professional practicing that science. I think that is what is happening, and we are at that stage where a little bit more of mathematical literacy is needed in schools so that people learn to use the right tool for the right analysis. Yeah, I would almost argue, though, um, I had such a horrific time at at school, I, I I said this too, and I think we, me and Mike Whitbread talked about this. Um, I had to take four calculuses or something like that, and it has not it has not sunk in. And I think I was just so so focused on passing it that I lost a lot of what I maybe was supposed to be learning. So I'm not saying that geology needs a dumbed down math, but maybe helping us along there with all of us that aren't so inclined to do so many calculus to say or linear algebras and stuff to try and kind of tie it into a loop, you know, do some machine learning courses for the geology sciences and go through us what the the different algorithms mean and everything, but don't just kind of 
scare us off of it by just I think I the problem know. with the education is the problem with the education system because I think it's the same the experience that you are mentioning the same for almost every person being educated at, in a university <laughs> even in this even in disciplines where where uh, you have a uh, mathematics as important part and is that uh, mathematics is not taught from a practical point of view so you basically people lose their knowledge mm. like for example uh, you go and learn all these linear algebra calculus or even programming courses at, uh, when you're doing your uh, bachelor degree uh, but the problem with that is that there is no context so yeah. you're seeing why you solve a differential equation why this vector space is important you don't know why so you i have still to don't lose know why knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to lose that if that has no practical application so um i think it's it's, it's a challenge in, in the education system but uh, as our professions become more and more mathematized uh, we will not be able to escape at least increasing our math literacy as geologists yeah, don't disagree because look, even me, not not great at math, but diving into a lot of these different algorithms and stuff, the amount of time that I spent on the phone with some of my uh, my my more mathsy friends to to describe this stuff to me and them sending me to different websites to get different explanations of stuff. People put some really good stuff out there. You, everybody, you can make it through, but it is important to understand fundamentally what these things are doing because that's really keen towards uh, applying them. One of the last things I want to ask you then is I found that for me, the second take home point from your machine learning section was that respecting geologic space when concluding that your models make sense. And we we did just touch on this a bit. And I think it's just what really hit me was just because a model that you get back says that it's 90% accurate. So let's just say that you did uh, some some supervised learning, it comes back and it says that, okay, your mo your model's 90% accurate. It doesn't mean though necessarily that this model is gonna work for you with your geologic problem. So can you it just expand a bit more on this and comment between the difference between a machine learning model and a geologic model and how there needs to be some synergy between the two to conclude that your machine learning model actually does work? Yes. Uh so in the validation in the validation workflow that I always put, there is one additional step. Just you know, every machine learning model uh, or any mathematical no model has a, a metrical model performance, right? You can, for example, do cluster analysis, whatever the clustering algorithm you want to use, and there is plenty silhouette plots and all these different uh, uh, metrics that you can assess the quality of the clusters. The clusters are well separated. If you are doing supervised learning, you can get 95% accuracy, measure the accuracy, 80%, 70%, you know, 99% accuracy. So that means I'm building a predictive model that is 99% or 95% accurate when 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 I create I'm creating this model. Or you can even uh, go to assess the quality of different classes if you are doing a classification system. I'm predicting this alteration or this lithology better than this one, but everything seems perfect. But ultimately, I think the ultimate checkbox is the geological space, because it doesn't matter when 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 you are when you have these metrics of model performance. It doesn't matter if, and I've seen actually in 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 examples where, for example, the clustering metrics are perfect, you you get you know 
reason to suggest that these three or four clusters are supported by 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 the metrics you are using to measure this cluster quality, for example. You plot that in the geological space, they make no sense. If if you are mapping a stratigraphy and a stratigraphy is being cross-cut by your your domains, then it makes no sense. You can have, for example, uh, I've seen actually published. <laughs> I, I have seen publications where even with the now a computer vision here, uh, you get you know run your core photography through a, a machine learning algorithm and extract a pictures that you can increment your data your data set with with your geochemistry so practically you are informing geochemistry with uh, with uh, your photos and i think for example examples where uh, where people arguing that uh, the core photo is much better at predicting for example abandoned iron formation than the geochem you just need to look at iron you just need to look at iron and you get a much better model so where I'm going is where I'm going is these metrics of model performance are are biased towards the geochemical space towards the the space that you build. If you start with a wrong classification and you get 90% accuracy in a supervised model, you you're gonna get 99% accuracy. You are 99% certain that that wrong geological model that you started with is wrong. <laughs> but unless you really put a boots on the ground and really constrain that the geological model is consistent with the geological space, then I think if if your geochemical models doesn't uh, really uh, uh, honor the geological attributes of of your ore bodies, then I think uh, you need to change. You need to change the approach, and and usually is a kind of a changing the geochemical space that you are using. So. For a for a specific question, so just focusing on I get 90%, 99% prediction accuracy, or these clusters are very good separation, good quality, is not enough. You have to you have to put that to the test, uh, to the real real geology. And there are things that uh, that you can use, like for example, uh, looking at for example the structural geology, making sure that you understand. Uh, either with oriented core or in the field, or the actual direction or train of uh, your stratigraphy. That can that kind of field geology is still very relevant in in today in today's world. Um, so yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of uh, projects where uh, the metrics of model performance look really excellent, but uh, the geological results are indeed nonsensical. Yeah, that's a really great point. Uh, that whole uh, garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's all about that. So it goes back to your point of, so what do we want? We want your chemists that work with data scientists, data scientists, or we want uh, geochemists that are data scientists. The, there is no single question, but I can say that, you know, back in the early 2000s, I think back in 2010, there was a, an interesting article in, it was the New York Times. I don't recall. And says uh, data scientist is the coolest job of the 21st century, the best job of the 21st century. So uh, when this was very popularized, uh, data science was popularized by technology companies like you know Facebook, uh, Google. Uh, then there was a big 
amount of people uh, being driven towards data science and a lot of companies opening positions for for uh, data scientists. I think, and there is a, a lot written in, in regular in regular newspapers about the mistakes done by these companies and is that at one point, everyone thought that artificial intelligence was going to suppress, you know, going to offer the solution to to this to the problems in a particular industry, and then you're bringing um, data scientists to to solve all these issues. And then what companies really found very quickly is that the domain knowledge was very important. So I think the last uh, uh, the adoption, I think after 2010 or something like that, companies started to focus a lot on making sure that some of the their domain knowledge experts have some education in data science as well because because uh, it adds actually more value than just being purely a data science trying to solve problems of an industry that that you don't understand i, I think in the mining industry we are always late adopters so i guess we're gonna be doing the same mistake building a building entire departments of data scientists in companies that still don't have a geophysicist or a geochemist. So yeah. I think we are going to go in the same direction. I think I think we're already there. I've seen <laughs> yeah. some of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and that kind of speaks. Uh, we are early. We are late adopters. If I said early adopters, I was wrong. We are late adopters uh, in, in in many aspects. And sometimes we come late and adopt the same mistakes. So there is no real answer to that because it's also a personal question. You as a professional, how you want to develop yourself? You want to be a well-rounded geoscientist who understands geology in the field, who understands geochemistry, who understands mathematics, or or even you as a manager, what do you want to build? You want to build a team that is a team of data geoscientists as a team, meaning that you have all the skills together. It, it, it is an open question, but whatever the path you take, either do it as a personal level, or as a teams, uh, you, you have to honor the domain knowledge because uh, without domain knowledge, these AI, AI systems are, are not going to produce uh, the best results. I know from all the statistics that I have on, on uh, the podcast of who actually is listening, and I know that we have a nice range from the 18 to 23 crowd all the way through the, you know, the mid 60s. And I think that that's a point that's really pertinent for both people that are still growing as as young geoscientists, but then also, you know, we're always growing within our fields and everything, but it's also really pertinent for people that are maybe not towards the end of their career, but at least, you know, mid-career and everything to be thinking about in terms of how they want to develop their teams, develop themselves, because data science, I think, is really important, but at the same time, we have to be using it in a way that makes sense and it, and it works for our projects. And I think that you made some really great points there. And and if you go, for example, today, it's very easy to get a Coursera or open a MOOC on data science, right? If you are yeah. in a, if you are interested enough, you can, you can learn uh, with the open, open source content videos, universities, very famous university releasing their data science uh, programs for free. Some others charges very small. Uh, dollar value, but how many how many workshops are there of real applied geochemistry for our body knowledge and geochemistry that can make a full semester some a full semester? Yeah. There's not even one. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, I think geochemistry as is needed in the mining industry is not really being taught at universities, and 
data science is being taught at universities now, but still the geochemistry don't get the traction. And then the question is, what kind of models are you going to produce without the domain knowledge? That's kind of an open question. Would you entrust the value assessment of your own body to well-educated data scientists who don't have the domain knowledge? That's the question. And I'm not talking at that individual level. It also works as, as a group. Mm -hmm. uh, that's 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 a, a very important question. Still, uh, geochemistry is still geochemistry. If you look at how many years it's been in the industry, um, maybe since the 60s, as exploration geochemistry, still there is not a real applied. We should rename this episode Hard Truths with uh, Juan Carlos. <laughs> but, but you can get <laughs> thousands of uh, data scientists. Uh, yeah. No, no, it's it's a really good point. And look, it's it's not it's not in my uh, 10, 15 year plan, but it's uh, a <laughs> It's it's such a good point, and I'm all, I'm also always on the hunt too for and this if we have any listeners from universities here thinking about you guys MDRU codes whoever's listening out there uh, minds and stuff if you guys ever want to put on some geochemistry short courses or anything like this I'm always out there looking for things to do for myself do any kind of like geomet courses do any kind of geochem courses like this there's so much to be said too about continuing education and the lack of this as part of a continuing education the like the the least we can do is this course that you know Juan Carlos and Linda Bloom have put together and that's what was it a two-day course you it know was a one day yeah oh, a one day one course day, yeah. yeah so I mean yeah, that's not we can do better industry so absolutely, absolutely. think about this and you just have a lot of professionals to, yeah and just going back to the storytelling theater historian thing there is love it been, <laughs> there has been a lot of there has been a lot of uh content generated in universities mm -hmm. with geochemistry that focuses on on the earth historian part you know we 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 need more geochemistry also as part of this you know uh, business of of the mining industry because there's plenty of papers written about even in mineral deposits that don't become our bodies there's plenty of of papers and that's good but the earth history is one part uh, I think we need to start telling stories of the meal, the flotation cell, yeah. the heap leach. Yeah. Uh, that's the part that I think is missing. Mm, I love that. Is Julie Hunt out there? <laughs> <laughs> she listening? Karen Hole. All right. So amazing. To, to round out all this, I'm just, I guess the last question is, what does the next workshop look like? Who should be attending this workshop? And uh, when do you think you guys are going to put it on? Um, you know, PIDAC has released the videos and I think I, I'm just going to put them in YouTube. So I'll, I'll let you know. So Ooh, you inform, inform your, your audience. Uh, I'm not sure when to do it uh, again. Uh, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, in, in we are not paid as uh, mining professionals to do this. This, this is kind of uh, our collaboration to the industry, you know, fostering uh, an environment where, uh, in this particular case, applied geochemistry is uh, raising the awareness, you know, uh, of this. Uh, but definitely, I'll be interested in in developing more of this uh, content and bring uh, other professionals. This is not a workshop that I teach only myself. I'm just one part of it. Lin Linda Bloom and myself organizing it. We normally invite 
people with different geochemical flavors. Uh, so um, um, maybe we'll continue developing and bringing uh, this workshop so that uh, we spread the idea of, of using geochemistry for, for the mining industry or body knowledge. That's amazing. Well, we're looking forward to that. And when you do have that release, I'll be sure to put it up on the website for everybody to have a, a link to check it out. So that said, I want to thank everybody for listening to Geochemistry and a big thanks to Juan Carlos uh, for stopping by the show, dishing some tea. I don't think I'll be able to get that out of my mind for a while. <laughs> Juan Carlos, the artist. <laughs> and taking us really on this ore body knowledge expedition. Thanks to our sponsor, LK Consulting, and to It's Water and Coma Media for our music. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you all next month. Thank you, Sam.